Welcome. You're listening to the Camino Church Podcast. This is Lessons with Pastor Steve Sellers. Every week, our host will dive deep into Scripture, giving you a convenient way to stay in the Word of God. Whether you're mopping your floors on a Saturday morning or sitting on a beach enjoying a well-deserved vacation, we're glad you're here and we're glad you're listening. Let's get started. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Camino Church Lessons podcast. Uh, We have had such a wonderful time going through these parables of Jesus. Uh, I hope you have gleaned uh, a little bit from this. If you've pulled out half as much as I have, then, boy, it's been a great time for all of us. Uh, There's nothing like teaching the Word because you learn so much about the Word. And as we come to the end of the parables, uh, I have a uh, phenomenal guest for us today. Uh, I love bringing the guest on the show, as, as everybody knows, and hopefully uh, all of you love hearing their different perspectives. But I wanted to end this series with a, with a pretty big bang. And so I, I've gone deep and I've, I've pulled, pulled out uh, uh, the starting player uh, for parables for me. This is uh, Dr. Jim McConnell, uh, who is professor of New Testament interpretation at Gardner-Webb University. He also happens to be the associate dean of the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb. He is, uh, he is a proud graduate of NC State. Go Wolfpack! Uh, and most importantly for me, he was my New Testament professor when I was in the master's program at Gardner-Webb. And the things that that I know and do and the way that I approach study of New Testament and New Testament interpretation leans heavily on, on this gentleman. So uh, without further ado, welcome, Dr. McConnell. We're glad to have you on the podcast. Well, Steve, thank you. It's, it's my pleasure to be here, and um, I, I hope this, uh, this is edifying for those who are listening to the podcast, but I very much appreciate the opportunity to talk about the parables with you. Absolutely, and it will be. I, I am sure. Uh, I know uh, your approach, and uh, and I am well versed uh, into the way that you uh, kind of seek out the truth in the parables. Uh, and I think for our audience, not only do you do that, but you put it in a way that is quite understanding. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. And I'm excited. Uh, this is, of course, uh, the last of our podcast on the parables of Jesus. So we're going to kind of take a broad view and uh, uh, an over overarching look at what we have studied. We've studied a lot of detail. We've, we've talked about some of the structure. We've talked about context and culture uh, and some of the basic theological concepts. But uh, this is going to be great having you with us. Uh, and so if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and jump into my first question, Jim. That's fine. What, what do you look for when, when you're reading the parables, are there any particular approaches, um, techniques you use, or do you kind of go in it really open, open mind, open heart to see what little, uh, the Holy Spirit's working in your life? What, what is your strategy when you read parables? Well, as, as you've already said, Steve, uh, my, my overall strategy, my overarching strategy, I guess you could say, is to look at the the literary context in which the parable occurs. Um, parable research uh, has a has a long history. Uh, one one thing that has uh, come to the forefront regarding 
comparable research is most scholars would argue that when you get to the parables, you are getting the closest to the actual words of Jesus that one could come to. Now, let me let me uh, explain that because I don't want I don't want your audience to think that I'm a heretic. Um, <laughs> what, when you read the Gospels, you are reading the Gospel authors' uh, understanding of Jesus, um, and and so that that's part of of of, of the canon uh, that that shouldn't that shouldn't give us any um, any nervousness or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, what historical Jesus scholars try to do is drill down through what the gospel authors have presented to get to what has Jesus actually said. Um, and, and so, the, the the parables are very much the. I think the the words of Jesus. Okay, now having said that, uh, I take the the shape of the gospel that I'm reading, the narrative of the gospel. I take that very seriously, and and the parables, being the words of Jesus, reinforce the theological point that the the gospel, the particular gospel author, is attempting to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when, when I read the parables, I want to be very careful to read them in their narrative context. How do they fit into the story that the gospel author is telling about Jesus? Okay. Um, now, the one thing that I don't want to do is what I tell my students is I don't want to micromanage the parable. Mm-hmm. Um it's very tempting to look into the parable and to to allegorize the temple, mm-hmm. uh, the the parable. Sorry, mm-hmm. um, this is tempting to do because Jesus does it himself. Uh, we have the parable of the seed and the sower, and Jesus explains the parable of the seed and the sower. For example, in, in uh, Mark four and Luke eight, uh, and 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 basically explains the parable in the form of an allegory with the different soils. Right, okay. Right. So that it's, it's, it's tempting to do that with all the parables. Some of them, you can do this. Uh, some of them though, it, I think it's a little bit dangerous to do. And that's why I say, uh, micromanaging the parable is, is probably not the best strategy. The, I think the better strategy is, to rather than take the 100 foot view, take the 10,000 foot view and say, what's the overall message that's being communicated by this parable in its narrative context in the gospel? So, so if, if I can jump in, that's a, I appreciate that point. That's a great point. And, and, and to be brutally honest, for me, sometimes my struggle is not micromanaging the parables, right? Um, mm-hmm. when you study, sometimes you get so excited about the study, you, you go deep into areas that are not intended. Jesus, a lot of times, I think, and I want you to reflect back on this, has a point to make. And that, that particular point is the most important lesson of the parable, not necessarily other 
rabbits that we may chase when we try to define the parable. Does that make sense? It, it most certainly does, and, and I think that is that is correct. Um, and and again, what we have to what we have to keep in mind is uh, the parables were spoken by Jesus, of course. Um, we the the gospel authors are putting that parable on the lips of Jesus in in certain contexts. So they they have heard these stories that Jesus told, and as they shape their story of Jesus, the parables show up at certain points. So that if you do if you do a study, for example, uh, you look at Mark. Four, and there's some parables about the kingdom that show up there. Well, in Matthew, they show up in a, in a, in a different context in Matthew 13. Mm-hmm. So it's fairly clear that the gospel authors have taken these stories of Jesus and had Jesus say them at certain points in their own story. And I, and I hope this makes sense. And uh, that's why it's so important to read the parable within its literary context in which it appears in the gospel. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, actually. And I want to kind of say that back to you to make sure that I'm I'm understanding it and that the audience is understanding it well. Um, each gospel writer who uses parables, they're going to put that parable where they need to, to in essence tell their particular story about Christ and, and the gospel. They're going to use That's it where they're going to use it where they need it. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. So, and, no, go, go ahead, ahead, please. No, I was just going to say, and, and this, because we have a canon, uh, the church has decided, you know, these four gospels and no other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so to hear that the gospel authors have somewhat injected themselves into the story, that, that shouldn't disturb us because the church has deemed these gospels as authoritative. They are inspired. Uh, they are the Word of God. And so we should take that seriously as, as we study the parables at this level. Absolutely. I, sometimes I will use the term, and it tends to have a negative term in contemporary culture. That's not the intent. Uh, but all of the gospel writers have a bias. They have an agenda. They're not recording history, even though you get historical accounts in there sometimes. But they're trying to tell the story of Jesus from their particular perspective to their particular audience. Is that fair? That is absolutely correct. And the somewhat technical term that that I use is the Gospels are narrative theology. Yeah. They are they are telling us about what God is doing through Christ in the form of a story, and I use that word carefully. Uh, story, um, and I don't want anybody listening to hear that it's a made-up story. Right. Uh, as you say, the Gospels touch on historical events, um, so uh, rather than story, very often I use the word narrative. It's a mm-hmm. narrative mm-hmm. Uh, that is telling us what God uh, was doing through Jesus. So let's, if we can, I want to get in the weeds for just a moment, and we won't stay there very long. Uh, but would you also say that when the gospel writers take on a parable, um, sometimes because we know there are differences in, in, in at least how the 
the written parable is put down, would you would you think that sometimes they may or may not recall it or frame it in the exact same way because, again, they're trying to speak to a particular audience or situation? Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, ultimately, one cannot answer that question because we, we can't get into the mind of, of the gospel author. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally, we have the author of, of the gospel right in front of us, and, and we say, is this what Jesus really said, or did you did you change it a little bit? Um, that that would be awesome, but we uh, obviously can't do that. But that that is one possibility that uh, the author um, changed something. Mm-hmm. But there are other possibilities. Uh, it could be that each gospel author has heard the parable in a different way because the parables were most likely handed down orally uh, from generation to generation. And the, the gospel authors, uh, well, and Luke is, is, is very open to say, you know, I was not an eyewitness. I got this from eyewitnesses, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even two generations from the eyewitnesses. Kind of hard to tell. Um, so maybe the, the parable as recorded by a specific gospel author, that's how that author heard it passed down. Um, another possibility is that, you know, Jesus told them multiple times and Jesus himself altered the parables, uh, in different settings. Um, so all those are possibilities. Uh, but we can we can rest assured that this is what we are to hear in that particular gospel. Yeah, that's uh, I appreciate that final, especially that final statement that you made because regardless of how it gets to us, based on your comments you made earlier about the canonization inspiration, they're meant to be the way they are, and we just need to receive them that way. That's uh, right. So, so uh, you bring up a, a great point. I want to. I want us to chase this a little bit. You, you bring up the oral nature, the orality of, of parables, especially as Jesus uh, is telling them in real time. You know, these the folks do not receive them uh, in written form like we do, and, and we are such uh, a, a um, writing, written literary society today that we, we a lot of times misunderstand the oral nature of a literary society in the first century, for example. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, since these parables are oral initially and for a while, probably before they're ever recorded, what is, what is our impact on kind of hearing them, reading them, and understanding them uh, based on that oral uh, foundation? Well, and I, uh, so first of all, the par- parables are oral, um, in, in nature, and you're right, we uh, are not necessarily an, an oral, oral culture, mm-hmm. you know, speaking and hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talk a lot about you know, the written word. Um, uh, I come out of the Baptist tradition. Uh, you know, we are people of the book, so we are emphasizing that the written nature of Scripture. Um, we probably miss uh, well, first of all, the, the parables, because they're they're oral in nature, uh, they were not spoken in English. 
or Spanish. Right. Uh, they were recorded in Greek, in, in Koine Greek, in the New Testament, but they weren't most likely spoken in Greek. They were probably spoken in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's probably some of the richness of the language that we, we miss because they have been translated uh, at least twice. Um, uh, so we, we have that going against us. Um, it, it's probably not that big a difference between uh, written and, and oral, but the, the, the parables, and, and I don't want to sound um, irreverent here, but the, the parables are, are very much like modern jokes. Uh, in that the parable leads you down a very familiar path, but then at some point the parable is going to take a turn where you just didn't expect it. <laughs> um, and, 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 and maybe that works better in, a, in an oral setting than it does in a written setting. Um, my, my favorite definition of parables comes from a scholar by the name of C.H. Dodd, and all the way back in 1935, he wrote that a parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this is what a joke does. Uh, a, a joke forces you to think about what just happened. And you know, sometimes we don't get the joke. We don't have enough context or, 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 or whatever. Uh, and, and parables are no different. We can read some of the parables and think, what just happened? Because I'm not sure what he just said there. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's part of the genius of the parables. Right. They, they, as as Dodd says, they tease our minds into active thought. Right. Yeah. So you you have just said so much, Jim, <laughs> and and I want to unpack it a little bit because uh, you hit on like three or four issues that I think are are in, incredible. But the first thing I want to do is when you were sharing that with me, we we've talked about in stress on this podcast that there's like you talked about, there's a point in the parable. A lot of times it's toward the end of the parable that uh, everybody is heading in one direction and Jesus takes a sharp left turn or a sharp right turn on them. Uh, and, and can you just imagine for a moment as he's speaking this, cause the people, because it's an, it's an oral presentation, they've really got to be tuned in. We, you know, we can read kind of half heartedly because we can always go back and reread it, but you know, they're listening to this, uh, to this man who is, you know, at very least sounds extremely prophetic. Uh, and for, for many of them, he, he not only feels spiritually prophetic, but almost socially, culturally, because he's speaking to them in ways that uh, the current Jewish leadership is not. But can you imagine as he's talking and they're listening and he's telling this story, one of these parables, and all of a sudden he turns almost the reaction and the audible gasp of the audience. Have you ever, have you ever imagined that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think of, of Mark 12, uh, Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem. Uh, and the, the chapter opens, 
uh, reading from the NRSV, then he began, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. And he tells this parable about a vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and, and then he leases it to tenants and, and, and the owner goes away. Right. Well, then all kinds of bad things happen. Mm-hmm. He sends a slave to, to collect his share of the produce of the vineyard. Uh, they, the, the tenant seized him, beat him, sent him away empty handed. And this goes on a couple times. He goes, Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. Uh, and the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. Um, well, the, the reaction then is while well, Jesus quotes scripture after telling the, 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 uh, the parable, but then the reaction is, uh, when they, the religious elite, realized he had told this parable against them, they wanted to arrest him. They feared the crowd, so they left him and went away. Mm-hmm. In other words, they got the joke. Yeah, clearly. They knew exactly where that parable was headed. Um, and I can imagine, you know, these religious elites of the day sitting around hearing this story, um, very interested. Uh, they hear about a vineyard. Well, that's going to bring up connotations of, of Israel because Israel in, in Isaiah 5, for example, is, mm-hmm. is compared to a vineyard. Uh, and thinking, oh, this is going to be a great story about Israel. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait a minute. That was not such a great story. Um, uh, another good example is the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10. Um, you know, the priest comes by, the Levite comes by, they avoid this poor guy who's been beat up on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, and then the audience hears that a Samaritan comes by. And the, 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 the immediate reaction of any Jews in the audience would say, well, now this poor guy's had it because yes. that Samaritan is, you know, he's not going to, he's probably going to finish this guy off. He's going to take everything that wasn't taken from him and just, and either kill him or leave him for dead. That's exactly what does not happen. And that, that is the the jarring moment in the parable. Like, what are you kidding me? Exactly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a great point because we call it the the parable, the good Samaritan. And, and, you know, I don't know if that term was used historically, but can you imagine uh, a Jewish audience with their animosity between uh, Jews and Samaritans going good Samaritan. It's just that in and of itself is kind of a, a minor joke. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's an oxymoron there yeah. in, in Jewish thought. There was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Right. Um, and, and, you know, you, you mentioned that particular parable, uh, another, another kind of twist to it is, uh, at least in, in, in my reading, and I, I'd love to get your feedback on this. Um, Jesus doesn't answer the man's question. The man's question is, who is my neighbor? Um, and I get a sense that Jesus almost answers the question, who are you a neighbor to, as opposed to who is your neighbor? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, he, 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 uh, he very tangentially, I guess you could say, uh, answers the question. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the question revolves around, uh, you know, and, and I think, I think the, well, again, can't get into the, the questioner's mind, but it seems like the questioner wants to know, you know, who, who do I have to be nice to and, and who can I neglect? Mm-hmm. And Jesus's answer is, uh, who do I have to be nice to? Everyone. 
who can I neglect? No one. Um, it's, it's a parabolic way of saying, you know, love your enemies. Um, so it's, it's, it's not about who is, but what am I to do? Uh, there's, there's an actionable item involved in the parable as well. I think you mentioned in your earlier comments about kind of the, the open-ended nature of, of parables, you know, they, they get described and explained as, you kind of alluded to to the disciples at times, at least, but the audience rarely gets that explanation. Jesus kind of drops the parable on them, and for lack of a better term, drops the mic and walks away. Uh, any thoughts on why teach that way? Why leave it open ended as opposed to a little bit more directive in nature? Yeah, and that's, that's a really good question. And um, parable scholarship will say uh, the parables are polyvalent. In other words, they have, they have multiple interpretations. Um, and, and again, you, you see this in action in the Gospels, because if Mark, uh, in, in, if in Mark Jesus tells a parable in a certain setting, there's a certain point that's, that's being made. Well, if Matthew takes that same parable and places it in a different setting, well, now maybe the parable is shaded in a slightly different direction. Mm-hmm. So, so you see this going on in, in the first century that the parables can take on different meanings. Um, I have, I had a, uh, one of my professors in my, uh, in my PhD studies, um, who wrote a uh, he wrote a commentary on on Matthew's Gospel, and in the section on the Sermon on the Mount, he argues that the the sayings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount are like verbal icons. Well, all due respect to my professor, who has forgotten more about the New Testament than I ever have known. Um, I think the parables are, are a better comparison to verbal icons. And let me quickly explain this. So, you know, an, an icon is, is, is a painting. Um, it's a very particular form of painting. If, if you go into any Greek Orthodox church, you will see uh, icons uh, all over the place. And they, they are used in this context as a source of worship. Um, so quoting some scholars on icons, uh, the icon is also a microcosm, which links together the divine and created worlds. These same authors say that icons are mediators of divine reality. So the idea here is in, in context of worship, uh, folks meditate on these, these pictures of, of Jesus, um, of saints. Uh, of Mary, um, they meditate and they are connected to the divine through their meditation on these icons. Well, I think this this gets to the sense of, of parables. Parables, by meditating on them and 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 running them through our minds and teasing them out, they give us windows into the kingdom of God because that. That's generally the focus of parables, not always, but generally the focus of parables 
is to give us an idea of what this kingdom of God looks like, this kingdom of God that Jesus is inaugurated by his presence on earth. Um, and, and, and so I, I think that the, the, the polyvalency, the, 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 the ability to look into the parable and, and see different things is just the genius of, of Jesus's teaching. Because as you know, Steve, um, you know, you can read a Bible passage 15 times and on the 16th time in a when you're in a particular life situation, that scripture speaks to you very clearly. Absolutely. And, and I think this is, this is, the idea behind the parables as we meditate on them, then they will speak to us. And, and, and they may not speak to me the same way they speak to you. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, there's a famous parable, uh, as a, that as a new Testament scholar, I wish had been left out of the gospels. Frankly, it's, it's the parable of the, the unjust manager in Luke 16. Yeah, we addressed that one. <laughs> okay, that, that's one of the toughest parables to understand. Um, and I, I read an article on this parable one time that was uh, illuminating to me. And the, the person writing the article had allowed folks uh, from the third world to read the parable, uh, folks in Central and South America. We as Westerners tend to read the parable and say, well, that guy got what he deserved. You know, that guy was cheating the manager. Mm -hmm. What this scholar found out letting uh, other folks read the parable was they were all on board with the, the unjust manager. Oh, yeah. Give it to the man. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that tells you how much your context influences how much you read the parable. Mm -hmm. um, what you're going to hear comes a great deal from your background. So the, 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 the bottom line here is the parables involve the reader in the understanding of them, uh, which I think is the whole idea behind them. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, always said that, uh, and this is a very specific example of what you're saying that is, is, um, when you read scripture, like you said, your, your location, your geographic, your cultural location, such an impact on how you read it. So those who read about Christ have a much more suffering Christ perspective, for example, if they live below the equator because they are much more uh, or have much more history with poverty, marginalization, uh, persecution, those kinds of things, right? Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And um, we... Uh, we unfortunately tend to read the parables, uh, we Westerners, uh, more triumphalistically, mm. you know, this victorious Christ, because that, yeah. that fits with our ethos. Absolutely. So absolutely, I, I agree with you 100%. So, uh, so I hate to do this to you, um, but, you know, talking about the, uh, um, the way you said to leave the parable there for people so that they kind of talk about it afterwards and do it. I've got to bring in at least uh, your nemesis, I say that facetiously, uh, Dr. West, <laughs> who, who in teaching preaching would say the very same thing. You do an incarnational approach where you journey with the people through the story, but then they've, the preaching's not over. The sermon's not over. The message isn't over because they take it with them and they continue to digest it. Same thing with parables, would you say? Oh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, 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 and 
I'm not sure that I've ever preached a parable. I'm trying to go through my memory and think, have I ever done that? And I'm not sure that I have, probably to my shame. But um, I would be, well, I would I would be reticent to teach or preach a parable and, and, and at the end of the lesson say, so this is what it means. Uh, I think I am. I'm. I'm. I'm not being true to the sense of the parable. Um, you know, I, I think I can. I can give a pretty good idea of what the parable leads us to in its in its general context. But I would not. I don't think I would want to say. So here's what you take from this parable. I, I think that's a very personal. Um, well, I say personal. Um, there, there is also a corporate aspect. You know, the mm-hmm. parables can lead us as as a community as well. Right. Um, but I, I wouldn't want to do anything that removes this uh, this idea of the parables having multiple interpretations. Uh, and, um, and don't you think? And, and I'm postulating on this a little bit off the hip, so please correct as needed. But don't you think that fits in with the Jewish culture of the time, maybe even the overall culture of the time, you know, we have this uh, post-modernity approach sometimes to things that we want to get to an answer. We need a single answer, uh, and that answer is going to be be it. But that's not true for all cultures throughout time. Sometimes the best way to learn was to leave it open and people continue to work with it. Is that true or fair? Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this is, um, this is a real problem in our in our Christian culture, um, in our modern Christian culture. Like you say, folks seeking an answer. Um, frankly, I, I that is uh, that is the curse of fundamentalism because fundamentalism says this is what it means. End of story. Um, for me. Scripture is living and breathing. It speaks anew each day. And to say, this is what it means, now we can set that aside, I think that's making a huge mistake. Um, So for for me, this this fundamentalist reading of Scripture is is simply laziness. It's theological laziness on our part. Um, and And it robs us of an opportunity to engage with God through through the Bible. Yeah. So our audience, it may be, um, some of them may know this, but uh, it may be new to some of them, uh, others, that when Jesus begins telling parables, he's not the first person to do this. There are already kind of parables in motion. There are parables that will continue. The rabbinical uh, community is known for telling parables uh, to teach their audience. Is, Is there some key differences or, or how would you say Jesus's parables may differ from some of the others that are being told at the time? I think uh, there, there certainly is, there certainly are connections between um, Jesus's parables and what are called the, the mashal in, in, in the Hebrew Bible. Um, that word mashal is very often translated proverb in the English. Um, so for example, you have, 
Judges 9, where you have these trees who want to crown themselves uh, a king. Uh, uh, You have um, this poor man who raises a a, a lamb, and the the wealthy neighbor comes and takes it, and this is Nathan's story to to David. Uh, So you have these stories that... um, that teach a lesson. Um, also in, in the Greco-Roman world, you have the fables, you have Aesop's fables that are stories that are telling a lesson. So, so the parables, they, they don't come out of a vacuum, but I think what, what's different is, uh, Jesus uses them consistently as, as a teaching tool. And, uh, this is, this is where, where they differ. Um, they're they're uh, they're also uh, certainly you know, oral stories. Um, the 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 rabbis um, the rabbis use them as ways to exegete scripture, for example. Uh, but they're also used uh, by the rabbis to, to reinforce the status quo. Whereas Jesus's parables, um, they they are shattering the status quo. Right. They're saying, you know, this is what you thought things were like, but let me tell you what things are, are really like. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're, they do overlap, um, but then again, but then again, they don't. Um, yeah. They are quite different. And that I think it, it's interesting, and I spend a lot of my time doing this, finding how things in the Bible line up with the surrounding culture. But what's really interesting is to find out how they don't. Where, where do they differ? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. So is, is there a particular parable that intrigues you the most or, or has impacted you the most? Uh, anything like that? Well, I, I, uh, since I do um, a lot of my work in, um, in Luke and then in Acts, um, obviously there are no parables in Acts, but... Uh, I'm I'm fascinated uh, in Luke on on the the, the teachings of the, Jesus' parables in Luke on two particular topics. So, in, in Luke 12, uh, you have this parable of um, uh, of the the farmer, or the the rich man, uh, whose land he had a bumper crop. And so he says, well, what do I do now? He goes, I, I can't fit all this in my barns. Oh, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, we do devotions in faculty meeting one time, and it was my turn, and I used this parable, but I modernized it. You know, I had a, a fictitious uh, professor, obviously fictitious because the professor had so much money that uh, he or she exceeded the, the $250,000 limit on bank accounts, you know, the insured <laughs> limit. So what will I do? Oh, I know. I'll just open another bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and 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 the, the upshot of the parable is, uh, but God said to this person, you fool, that very night your life is being demanded of you. Mm-hmm. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Uh, it's a very, very indicting lesson on you know saving for some future that may not occur. Uh, and then when you get to sixteen, we've already mentioned the the 
the parable of the unjust steward, mm-hmm. which is notoriously challenging to interpret. But in context, it's fairly clear. Um, you have to handle money very carefully, just like you have to handle the things of the kingdom very carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in that chapter, then, you have this parable of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, which says, here's what you do with your money. You take care of, of the least of these. That's what you do with money. Mm-hmm. And so the parables collectively give you a, a very strong theology uh, that you see in, in Luke's gospel of, you know, what does one do with one's stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, the others that I'm fascinating by, fascinated by are in Luke 18, where you have two parables, um, again, only in, in Luke's gospel, that talk about prayer. Uh, the first one starts at the beginning of chapter 18, then Jesus told them a parable about, their, parable about their need to pray, not to lose heart. And so you have this parable of the unjust judge and this woman who just wouldn't give up mm-hmm. um, until she got justice. Now, you have to be very careful because that parable is not saying, you know, if you just berate God long enough, God's going to do what you want. Right. Um, that's not the idea. It's how much more will God mm-hmm. uh, help those who uh, who ask him for help? In other words, there's this negative comparison between God and the unjust judge. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, you have the, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and, and the publican, the tax collector. And this here again, if, if you compare a tax collector and a Pharisee in Jewish culture, well, of course, the Pharisee is going to be the one who knows how to pray. The Pharisee does it all the time. The tax collector may never do it, but it's the tax collector who knows how to pray um, because he simply says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Um, so, again, these two parables, and I would say also with uh, the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6 give you a, a very strong theology of prayer that is being taught through these Lucan parables. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, it, um, Jesus does make good use of those interrogative parables, doesn't he? He, he? he puts people in that place and says, if, you know, if, if that's going to happen, then just imagine who God is. Yeah, much better. Um, and you'd mentioned earlier on about how a lot of Jesus's parables are 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 challenging to cultural norms or cultural beliefs, and how um, the parables um, that you find in in the Hebrew Scripture um, or the rabbinical parables are much more norming to what culture or context. Uh, it's almost as if, and uh, again, I'm just kind of thinking through this in the moment, it's almost as if um, Jesus is trying to norm them, norm us, I guess, to the reality of kingdom culture as opposed to uh, the kind of the hypocrisy of their current culture. Does that, does that make any sense at all? Oh, it sure does. Uh, and I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to do with the parables. He's, he's trying to to, to wake us up, to, to, to get us out of the status quo, to um, certainly not remove us from the world, but to envision this kingdom of God that is the, the ultimate reality. I mean, we, we look around, I've got my arms on this table, and this, this thing, I can, I can 
touch it. I can feel it. I can see it. This, this is reality. And Jesus is trying to say, be careful with that. There's a much greater reality that's going on around you that I have come to inaugurate. That's what you have to pay attention to. Absolutely. Um, and, and that takes, again, a lot of mo- motivation, uh, meditation, uh, and a desire to seek the kingdom of God. So, again, the parables, because they are somewhat opaque, they force you into you know, thinking about these different things. Yeah. Well, Jim, I, man, I have enjoyed this. This boy, I know we uh, lied in a certain amount of time. It, it has flown for me. I love uh, hearing you talk and teach about Scripture. I always did, uh, whether I liked it when I was in class or not. Uh, but I always share with folks uh, how instrumental uh, you were in framing uh, my thinking, challenging me to think, not telling me how to think, but you know, giving me the tools that I need. So this time has been great. Um, and, and we're going to wrap it up, but I would hate to do that without giving you the chance to, to add anything that you think matters at this point. Is there any final thoughts that you may have? Well, I, I just want to encourage everybody listening. Um, I, I hope we haven't made it sound like the parables are too difficult to understand. Um, at the end of the day, uh, the Spirit is who leads us into truth. Yes. And when we trust the Spirit as we read Scripture, I think that's, um, that's the bottom line. Uh, so you don't have to be a, a Ph.D. in New Testament to understand the parables. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus spoke the parables to the common folk and expected them uh, to, to hear to hear about the kingdom through them, and I don't. Uh, we should expect nothing less. So, uh, you don't have to have multiple years of education to uh, to hear God speak through the parables. And so, that's my encouragement to everybody. I, I can't. I'm not sure I can imagine a, a better way to end this podcast. You said it just right. That is a great wrap up. Thank you so much for being part of what we're doing, for lending your expertise and insights, and challenging us about the parables. Uh, Jim, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Well, Steve, again, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I hope that uh, it's been helpful to those who have uh, listened. Uh, if if it hasn't uh, and there are still questions, um, you can email me, and I am happy to, to answer those emails. My email address is on the Garden Web uh, School Divinity website, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity to dialogue with you. Um, we're happy to have you as students, if that's mm-hmm. uh, what you want. Um, and we also have opportunities for lay classes. Uh, they've been obviously been put on hold through the pandemic, but our plan is to ramp those back up. And uh, hopefully, Steve, we can get you all on the mailing list and mm-hmm. let folks know when those opportunities arise. So uh, yeah, That sounds great. We, we're here to serve the church. That, that is my job, to serve the church, and that's the goal of the School of Divinity. And however we can do that, we're happy to do it. Well, thank you for that generous offer. Again, um, appreciate your time. It was extremely good, and I think you, sh- you did a whole lot for the audience to understand in parables. Hey, everybody, thank you uh, for joining us again today. We look forward to starting a new series with you. We'll be teasing that out uh, really soon so that uh, we can continue on. Uh, as we study and as we share together. So uh, we appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this series. And remember, until we come back to you again, uh, stay in the Word. Let's keep our journey going together. 
Thanks a lot. Hey, y'all. Producer Riley here. We really hope you enjoyed this last episode of this season of Camino Church Lessons. I know I learned a lot from Pastor Steve and all of his fellow pastor friends about the parables of Jesus. As always, we welcome you to go back and listen to old episodes of Camino Church Lessons, whether it be on the parables of Jesus season or the one that we did on 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. Be sure to like Camino Church on Facebook so that you never miss an announcement about lessons or about what's going on at Camino Church. In the meantime, be sure to share this podcast with your fellow lifelong learner friends, no matter where they are in their walk with Christ. We'll talk to you soon.